students that continue to identify with the rainbow alphabet, LGBTQT. They identify as this, and they're going online saying, hey, look at these queer members of the seminary leading in worship and praying. When you look at the seminary stance, it says they do not accept homosexuality, and you can't promote it. So the way these students are getting around it, because you have to understand that the Methodists, where this comes from, had a split in their denomination over these issues. Their defense, these students who are a part of Asbury, is what they're saying is, we are not practicing homosexuality, we're just identifying according to our temptation. So if you go to one of their posts, and I have it on my page, I'm not going to obviously put it up here. Maybe it's not so obvious I wouldn't put it up here, but I'm just not going to put it up here. Some of you are like, show it, show it. No, maybe I might do a live feed later. He has there on his Twitter feed, SSA gay student at Asbury Seminary. And SSA means same-sex attracted. Okay, well, if you're not living it, why are you telling us that? So in their mind, it's like, well, that's my orientation. I get tempted that way. Well, in that way, you had somebody and people lead your worship today that have struggled in that same area. Uh, you know, we're not going to have them testify right now, but we've had a lesbian, gay, and bi be in our leadership. We haven't yet transgender, but we do have it in our, um, in our discipleship, okay? So that would be like me at the same time going, am uh, multiple women attraction? What would that be? M-W-A preach to you today. Now, I got my attraction to women outside of my beautiful hot senorita, bonita senorita. I got it in check, okay? Like, I'm never going to cheat on her. I'm not going to let that happen. But if you're going to say, I don't, like, if someone's going to ask me, do I get attracted? Yes. So what are they saying? Why are you putting that out there? I don't put my attractions out there. Why are you putting your attractions? So I'm writing them. I'm in interaction with them. I'm on that dude's Twitter feed right now being looked at like a Karen. What do they call the male Karen? A Tom, a Bill? Ted, it's a Ted. Ken, there we go. I'm being a Ken right now, okay? And I'm on the Asbury website, and I'm just trying to get down to it. So here's what they can do. It's a fork in the road, and brother, please, you know, do whatever you feel is right there. Ask a question if you want uh, while you're there. Here's the fork in the road. The worst thing would be for them to not answer it and just go on and say, hey, don't pay attention to these things over here. Just watch the shiny stuff here, you know? No, no, no. This is a big issue right now because your movement has suffered from this, and there's people who are hijacking it trying to make this a part of their agenda. So in other words, by them promoting it like this, what are they putting in our head? You're having revival with a gay lesbian worship leader, right? But they're not acting on it, but they're gay or lesbian. So then what's the next step? Now they're acting on it, and you should be okay with it, right? Because you felt revival when they weren't acting on it, but now they're acting on it. How many see that as a big red flag? And that's something that I already shared on my Facebook, that there's churches like that in Chicago, where if you didn't know any better, you, you would think it's a normal church because it has the worship, it has all of that. So we have to remember, worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth is not just by your goosebumps. Okay, as so my wife always sends me these Lord of the Ring memes. She's like more into these memes than I am right now. There's a Lord of the Ring meme that shows the hair on the hair, hair on the arm standing up when you watch the final battle scene, you know? And then so the meme goes, first time I watched it, hair stands up. Second time I watched it, hair stands up. Third time. And so I guess what it's supposed to show is every time I watch it, my hair stands up, you know? Is that, that's what the meme's supposed to mean, right? And so we, we're nerds, okay? I guess we're nerds. And we send this to each other. She sends it to me. What, what we have to do as Christians is, is be careful. That's not the whole Holy Spirit. 
Because you can get goosebumps from watching Aladdin, okay? You can get goosebumps by watching the moon landing or something. You can get goosebumps from a lot of things, so that's not what we base it on. So let's hope they don't do that. They need to address it. There's, there's posts that are coming out. Clearly, they are students, or at least they're claiming to be students, and they're taking this as a win, and they're usurping this precious moment, which if you look at it, I think 20,000 people came there over the weekend. They can only fit 1,500 in the chapel. I mean, thousands of people are all over the campus. I mean, this is amazing, right? Like, we want to see this. Uh, so, so I hope they don't do that. The second way they can go, you know, fork in the road, is they can just simply address it. And hey, guess what? Part of revival is, you know, shaking uh, the, the, the bad fruit out. And if the people don't want to be there, they can leave. And then the ones who do want to be there can actually get saved, sanctified, and identify themselves as John Wesley would want them to identify themselves as saints. Because it says over their chapel, holiness unto the Lord. And so go with me quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses uh, you know, 6 and onward, maybe getting down to verse 9 here. We do not deny the humanity of those who struggle with LGBTQ issues. They are uh, worthy of human dignity. What we disagree with is how we should look at their lives. We should not look at their lives in the context of their sin, but rather in the context of their deliverance. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. Let's go to verse, say, verse 9. Let's go straight to verse 9. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. And that is clearly what it means there. Sometimes they try to say it means pederasty, having sex with children, pedophilia. That's not what it means. It's translated correctly there. Arsenokoitois goes back to the Leviticus warning against men having sex with men. Okay? So, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, highlight the first part of verse 11, please. And that is what some of you, what? Were, and that is what some of you were. See, you should not identify yourself as what you were. Now, if they want to say, we still have this temptation, granted, that's a part of your sanctification to believe that you count that flesh as dead. I have temptations, but I do not identify myself with them. So, for example, if we were leading an AA for those in alcoholism, we wouldn't want to start off the meeting saying, hey, my name's Joe and I'm an alcoholic. We would start off the meeting by saying, my name is Joe, I'm a saint of the Most High God, sanctified, washed, clean, justified, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I've come to receive some help to live like who I'm supposed to be. Amen. That's how we as Christians would do AA, not saying the temptation. So that's all we're asking them to do. We want to pray for Asbury here in just a moment, and we'll pray for the Goveas as they head out. We want to pray that they will do the right thing, answer the concerns of good Christians. Okay, I'm not a heresy hunter. I'm not the revival police. I've been to Brownsville. I've been to these different moves of God. I even support, supported Lakeland in the beginning stages of that, and I caught a lot of heat when that man... Um, uh, Todd Bentley ended up having an affair. Of course, I look stupid after that. But I don't, I don't take it back. Like, I believe God can use revival even if there are people that are flawed, even if it's not the way we would perfectly want it. And, hey, I haven't had one yet either, so what am I here to cr criticize? So I really want to be gracious. But when it comes to the word, I man, that is my job, you know. So it's not like mind your business. This is my business. This is my business. My business is to guard the flock from an agenda that is trying to come into the churches. Amen? 
And hey, let's just be honest. Let's just be honest with this. They have an agenda in the Methodist movement. That is very clear. They've already split over it. They're trying to get their church to accept them. That's why uh, when I was discussing with some of them, they weren't even forthright. You can go to my page and you can see some found me from the Twitter and came to my Facebook page. They're not even being direct in what they believe because they know that's going to uh, isolate them. What they want to do is Trojan horse uh, through the orientation right now. So, hey, hey, accept us as our orientation. We'll be celibate, but accept us as our orientation. So I am a gay man. I'm a lesbian. Accept, accept the orientation, and, and we won't sin. But you see, that gets you used to continually thinking of leaders in the church because, you know, these people are going to seminary to be leaders as gay, lesbian, bi. If that was my temptation, should you know me as a gay man or a bisexual man? That, that's not how you should know me. You should know me as a saint, as a child of God. And whatever temptations I have today, you shouldn't know me as that. So it's a Trojan horse. And, and here's my thing. Whether those students who are doing it knowingly know like what they're doing as an agenda, that's the way I believe it's being used by the devil because he's our enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against these powers of darkness. And that's what the devil wants us to do is lower down our guard. That's what they first did in the media is they had, you know, same-sex relationships going on to make us feel comfortable with it. And now how many of you know you can't even turn on a show without watching it? I mean, that's why I, I pray the Lord of the Rings stays away from it because now every fantasy film I'm watching, there's always some gay lesbian thing going on. Like I'm watching Wheel of Time right now, you know, with uh, Amazon, and then like this, this stuff's going on. I'm like, dear God, have mercy. I remember one time somebody said, if you looked at the statistics to how many are in that lifestyle, to how much is being represented in the media, you would think like 80% of the population was in that lifestyle. It's still like less than 10%. And yet it's usually like half or a quarter of the characters in any show now are dealing with this or their parents are dealing with this. And I think that's part of the agenda. The same thing as I always say, Ellen DeGeneres, I mean DeGeneres, kissing a girl the first time on, on a sitcom. You see, this was to desensitize us. That's that's part of the agenda. Once again, whether they recognize that the person actually tweeting knows it or not, it doesn't matter. That's how they're being used. Oh, look at these queer people being used in revival. Isn't that amazing? That's how you're supposed to be like, like taken back by it. Be like, wow, I didn't know they were queer, but wow, I was so blessed by their worship. But we're not practicing. We're not practicing. Well, hold on. If uh, they change the rules, will you start practicing? Oh, yeah. Well, then we'll start doing it. Well, hold on. Then, then your heart is not right. See, that to me now is an activist. You are an activist here. You are planted here, whether you intend to or not, to change the history of this school, to change what the school believes. And this is what I would simply say. If you want to do that, go do that somewhere else, because I still believe in the freedom of America. Just don't do it at our schools and our places, you know? And so let's just say they wanted to have uh, Asbury this way of doing revival. Okay, let me know. I'm not going to that revival. That's not a revival I'm going to bless and pray for God's prosperity in the church. What I'm going to pray for is, is its salvation. Amen? And just mark my words. I'm not prophetic right here, but I'm just a person, you know, sons of Issachar that can read the signs of the time. There will be soon enough, wait, for, uh, for this to happen, revivals with homosexuals in leadership. There are already charismatic churches that are homosexual in leadership, and it will just be a matter of time till something special happens at those churches, and they're going to say, look, God's hand is here, and it's being led by the homosexuals. And it's already, like I said, in the church, speaking in tongues, casting out devils, all those things. That's why you have to be very careful to what you consider charismatic. Charismatic is not chaos or kookiness. We are not spiritual nuts and flakes, granola bars for Jesus, okay? Charismatics, charisma, the gift people, need to be grounded in the word. Amen?
Jesus said to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Last thing to say, I guess, before we pray, uh, and if I said last thing before, please forgive me, is that we're not against we're not against people having different opinions on this. Okay, so if it is merely someone having a different opinion on how we address orientation, and if I go live tonight, I'm going to, you know, of course, invite these guys to come. I would be okay with that because it's a non-dividable issue. So let's say there is a Christian that goes, I still consider myself gay even though I know it's a sin, sends people to hell, and I want nothing to do with it. It's wicked, but that's how I look at myself. Here's what I would say. That's no different to me than my Calvinist friends who always say I'm a wicked, filthy sinner saved by grace. They always say I'm a wicked sinner. You don't know me. If you really knew me, you'd hate me even more than you do now because I'm wicked. I'm a sinner. How many ever Christians talk like that? I'm just a filthy sinner. You know, That to me is the same idea. You're looking at yourself in the past. So I wouldn't divide over that. If you can clearly tell me, when you say that of yourself, you know that's wicked, that's sinful, that's evil. It's not a pet uh, way of talking softly to something that you're just keeping around. You guys understand what I'm saying? A way I've looked at sin is you don't treat it like a stray dog. Now, some of you be like, oh, take the stray dog home. No, 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 not in Orleans, y'all, okay? I used to live in Orleans, and if I said stray dog, you would know exactly what I was talking about. Stray dogs will kill you. They're rabid. They're crazy. Now, can they still have a nice, happy life? Yes, but you don't bring them into your house. Now, everybody got that stray dog in their mind? I'm not talking about a little puppy coming to your house. It's just a little puppy. No, I'm not talking about that. Okay, now imagine a stray dog, rabid babies and all of that. You don't bring that into your house and try to make it a pet because it will tear up your whole house. And when that thing is following, that dog is following you home, you have to say to that, that dog, go, get. I'm telling you, when I used to walk in New Orleans, I used to have to carry stones in my pocket. Real talk, man. I wish I had somebody from New Orleans here. Sometimes I just feel like I'm the odd man out, the one southerner. No, I'm kidding. But, but, but being serious here, man, I would carry rocks in my pocket. That's what they told me because you would see them, you know, going in packs, man, and they're dangerous. And so if they came at you, you'd start throwing rocks at them, okay? That's what we did, okay? That's not how you treat your sin. You don't treat your, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, you don't do your sin different than that. That's how you treat your sin. You get rid of your sin. You don't pet your sin. Other people want to bring those stray, nasty dogs around them, be petting on them, and then have them tear up everything. Can I hear an Amen. Sorry if that offended you with dog. Maybe I should have said mice or rats or something, okay? But you don't tolerate sin. If it's sin, it's sin, it's sin. It doesn't matter how cute it is, how, how acceptable it is. It's sin. We hate sin. If you want to look at the way Jesus feels about sin, look at the cross and then look at hell. Did he not describe hell as a place of torment and the, and the cross as a place of love? So that's how much he loves you, not to have you go there. But if you don't accept the cross, that's where you're going. I mean, how much more serious could it be? Amen. We, we should take it serious. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for Asbury. We thank you for the leaders there. So many good folks are there. We thank you for all the good Christians who are coming out there to support it and be encouraged. We also thank you, Lord, for the, um, the renewal, the refreshing that's coming to the students and to that community. And we pray, oh Lord, that this will be grounded in the word of God and that any of this nonsense, Lord, that's been approved by the school will be rebuked and checked. But if it hasn't been approved by the school, may it be uprooted and these people get convicted for trying to hijack this precious movement. Lord, we ask you to bless Goveas and others who are traveling there for this week. And may your hand also be on our brothers and sisters in the Mardi Gras outreach as they are preaching between heaven and hell, O oh Lord, one hand in the gutter and the other one in glory, plundering hell and populating heaven. Be with our people as well who suffer for the cause of Christ. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Go with me now to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. 
Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, Jesus prays for me. Somebody say that with me. Jesus prays for me. Do you know that he prays for you? If you're a Christian, think about this. Jesus is praying for you right now. If you are a Christian, you have accepted Christ, one of the benefits of being a Christ follower is that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father mentioning your name. How does he do it? You know, before technology, we wouldn't have known how he could, uh, uh, you know, did uh, a billion-person prayer at once. But how many know with technology, you can download a billion things just like that, you know? How many know that? I have right now probably, I don't know what, a billion characters on my phone with all the books that I have, all the video, all the code. There's probably a billion things on my phone right now. Wouldn't you think so? Probably is. I mean, a lot. There's a lot there. I mean, how many words are in every one? I have 1,700 books just on my Bible program. I have an, a Kindle with over 600 books. I wonder how many words and letters are there. Probably a lot. And it's downloaded right now. How does he do it? I don't know, but looking at technology, I know that it can be done. I know that God can do all things, obviously, but he can also do things in a way that we can understand. I mean, I don't know. If he just looks at the Father and through his beautiful, loving eyes comes all of our names and all of our information, like zzzz, and the Father goes, yeah, I got it, and then zzzz, all like that. Is that just weirding you out right now? Jesus with eyes of fire downloading things to the Father. Back in the day, that might have looked weird, but for us now, we know what happens all the time. I was, uh, you know, out doing a thing, you know, snowboarding, and I asked a guy to record me on his phone, and boop, he sends over the video. There it is. Just within moments, there's all that information. And so the Bible teaches us that Jesus is praying for us. That should encourage us because there's nothing that we'll ever go through that Jesus is not there with us asking the Father to give us the strength to go through him. So think of the toughest time you've ever been through. For me, it would be like my sister's funeral. Do you know that during that time, Jesus was talking to the Father on my behalf? I was not alone. That's why even if you don't have a brother or sister to pray for you, Christian, dear Christian, listen to me. Jesus is always praying for you. You're never alone. As we learned in the first service, the Holy Spirit is here with us, and Jesus is praying to the Father on our behalf. Now, to understand the significance of that, you would have to go back into Leviticus. You would have to go back into the priesthood, and I've asked you to do that, and I don't want to feel bad as a pastor today by asking how many have actually listened or read the book of Leviticus. I don't know. Maybe I feel like giving out some money to someone who actually did it. Hey, go into my office, Nancy. Give me some gift cards. I want to see if anyone took me at a pastor's word. And let me just say this right now. My feelings won't be hurt, maybe kind of, sort of, but I'm going to do it anyway. I was at a restaurant one time, and they got my order wrong, didn't really listen to me. She said, man, I'm so sorry I didn't listen to you. I didn't get it right. And I said, that's okay. I'm a pastor. I'm used to people not listening to me. I know it hurts. It hurts. But I'm just going to be honest with you. And so, listen, I'm going to see, because I had asked you guys during the time when we first started this series, get five. I have faith that five people have did it. If no one does it, then I'm going to cry a little bit, okay? And this is what I asked you. I said, as we start this series, read a certain book. Let's see if you even remember the book I said to read. What book did I say to read? Leviticus. Okay. I might have a gift card for you, depending on how it goes from here, okay? 
So as I'm stalling here waiting for the gift card, I listen to it twice, okay? Now I, that's my job, and that's what I do, and I know it's easy for me. But I listen to it twice. And as we get into today's message about Jesus being our high priest and him interceding for us, it is important to understand the Levitical priesthood. Look at verse 11. If perfection could have been obtained through the what? Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood. Why was there still a need for another priest to come? One in the order of what? Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. All right, let's give it up for my beautiful Vanna White assistant as she comes. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, stay up here, please, because you're going to be my runner too. You're going to get some exercise. Love you. All right, who listened or read the book of Leviticus? Yo, and it is Marco, and congratulations. Give him two for having a new baby. Come on. Okay, who else listened or read the book of Leviticus? Who did? Oh, my wife. I was like, where did I? Somewhere over here. Should the pastor's wife get one? Does it count for her or not? Okay, yes, they say you get it. No one else? Going once? Going twice? Altar call, now repent. Half kid? Thank you, baby boo. Okay, well, it's a sad day for a pastor. You see what I'm saying, Joby? People don't listen to me, including you, my youth pastor. I know you've read it before, but here's the reason why I wanted us to read it again. And I, and I, I did it. I'm not saying it was the funnest book to read or listen to. I did it all audio. But here's the reason why I did. The entire point that we're going through is based upon the book of Leviticus and all the things that those priests had to do. And so if you just skip right to the good part, you don't understand the prophecy being fulfilled here. Because Levi had to be appointed to be a priest by a certain order. Man, they could not be a priest if they had to wear glasses, if their man parts were bruised. and I mean, they, they couldn't do it if they had warts. They, they had to be excellent in appearance. They, they couldn't uh, operate then as a priest once they were chosen. If they touched a dead body, a woman having a period, yeah, that was in there. And all of these other things, they had to keep the dietary law. They had to be ready for all the festivals and do X, Y, and Z thing. They couldn't eat this part of the animal, but they could eat that part. They had to burn this and they had to keep this poor out this, shake that over that, the hyssop, you know, with the blood. They had to do all these things. And then yet here you come as a Christian. Jesus is my high priest. Jesus loves me. Don't you understand? This is a big deal. But you got to go back into the book of Leviticus. So listen to me, brothers or sisters. Make sure you read that book at some point in your life. You can't graduate our 201 until you do it. you got to read the whole Bible to graduate from our discipleship. Because I don't ever want someone to talk to you and be like, have you ever read the whole Bible? And you're like, no, I haven't read it. But I signed up for a membership class, and here I am teaching your kids. You know, No, no, anyone that's ever a leader in our church had to read the whole Bible. Amen? In the book of Leviticus, you learn that there's a priesthood after Levi coming from that tribe, and Aaron, the brother of Moses, who was from that tribe of Levi, is the key figure. We're going to learn now that Jesus does not come from Levi. He comes from where? Judah. Somebody say Judah. Thank you. And where do kings come from in the Bible? 
Judah. The kings come from Judah and the priests come from Levi. Just to make sure everybody's tracking with me, there were 12 tribes of Israel and they had their roles and their positions. The two main ones... Levi, those were for the priests. Judah, those were for the kings. But we have a problem. Jesus needs to be our priest, but he's from the tribe of kings. How can he be a priest? Well, he can be a priest in a different order. That's why we had to go in the few weeks prior to the order of Melchizedek. If perfection could be obtained through the Levitical priesthood, and it wasn't, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still a need for another priest to come, one in the order of what? Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. Verse 12, for when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. Everybody say old covenant, new covenant. Amen. Old covenant, new covenant. In the old covenant, it was the Levitical priesthood. In the new covenant, it's the Melchizedek priesthood. Now go quickly with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 16, where Melchizedek, I believe, shows up to Abraham and he ties to him. Because I want to make sure everybody sees this. Some of you have missed probably a few weeks or you're just bored right now, but I want to make sure everybody sees it on the same page. Can I hear an amen? amen. Go to Genesis chapter 16. And see when Abraham ties to Melchizedek. It is not chapter 16. It is chapter 14. Go to chapter 14. Starting in verse. What verse is this in? Chapter 14, verse 18. Chapter 14, verse 18 of Genesis. Thank you. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem. What was he of Salem? He was a king, thank you. Melchizedek, king of Salem, which becomes Jerusalem, by the way, brought out bread and wine. This is a type and shadow of communion. He was priest of God Most High. What was he of the God Most High? A priest. So he was a king and a priest. Who in the Bible is the only one that we know of that is going to be a king and a priest besides Melchizedek? Jesus. He's going to be a king and a priest. Okay, and what does he do? He blesses Abram, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And how many remember us talking about the tithe last week? Mentioned seven times there in Hebrews chapter 7. Now going back to our notes, please. What does it teach us? Clearly, Jesus has to be a priest, but he's not going to be a priest according to the order of Aaron, but to the order of Melchizedek. So since there's going to be a change of priesthood, there is also going to be a change of what? Law. That's why there is now a new law, new covenant, new testament. Testament, covenant, law. They all mean the same thing. So in the new law, in the New Testament, in the new covenant, who is our high priest? What is his name? Jesus. And he's a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Why does that matter? Because we need a high priest. We need a high priest. When Jesus gave Moses the instructions for the temple, that was an imitation 
a replica of what was in heaven. God said to Moses, make what you see in heaven on earth. How many have ever heard Jesus say something like that before? Pray for thy kingdom to come on earth as it is where? In heaven. Do you know that the tabernacle was a picture of heaven on earth? And now Jesus is the living tabernacle, the literal picture of heaven on earth. Oh, come on, somebody. Jesus fulfills every single part of the tabernacle, the temple of God, including all of the pieces, all of the artifacts that were there, and the priesthood. It would take me too long to go through it, but I'm tempted to try. Go ahead and put it up here. Let's see how far we can go into it. Go into uh, Google articles in the tabernacle and show me a picture of the entire tabernacle where I can see everything that uh, God instructed Moses to make, please. When he puts this up here. I could spend the entire service teaching on how Jesus fulfills each and every one of these things. Let's start at the very beginning. Sacrifice. They made sacrifices there. How many know Jesus is the sacrifice? They then would wash themselves in the brazen laver. It's like a reflective metal where they could see themselves and clean themselves. How many know Jesus gives us the word of God so that we can be cleansed and to be clean and holy? How many know Jesus does that? Without Jesus, we can never do that. Thank you. So you have the sacrifice. Then you have the brazen laver. Then you go into the holy place, and you see the table of showbread. Did not Jesus say, man does not live by by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God? Who is the living word of God? Jesus. Then you see the menorah, the candlesticks. Did not the Holy Spirit rest on Jesus as a dove, and then he breathed on his disciples to receive the Holy Spirit? Come on, somebody. Can I hear an amen? And then what do we see? The altar of incense, the prayers. Does not Jesus pray for us even today before the Father as sweet aroma as incense is before his throne? Amen. Then you get to the holy of holy place where you would take the sacrifices that you did there and sprinkle it upon this holy place that is surrounded by angels built upon the Ark of the Covenant and the priesthood. Would not Jesus be there at the mercy seat as our sacrifice, the way, the truth, and the life? No one goes to the Father but by him. And because of Jesus, now we have redemption and forgiveness. Woo! Isn't that exciting? And the Bible even says that from the place of the holy place to the most holy place or the holy, holy place, the veil was Jesus' flesh so that when he uh, died on that cross, that veil in the temple was ripped open so that we could have access to God. This, the Bible says, when God spoke to Moses, this is an imitation of heaven. This is a replica of heaven. Now do you see how important it is to have the right priesthood? Because how do we just do away with this and say, oh, it's the New Testament. Let's have fun. God was a meanie in the Old Testament. Now he's cool. You know, in the Old Testament, he was a strict father. In the New Testament, he's our cool, he's our cool brother. You know, it's kind of like we knew the father in the Old Testament. He was mean. But now Jesus is like Fonzie wearing the leather jacket, taking us on his motorcycle. Is that what it's supposed to be like? Of course not. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what was he teaching us through the Arianic priesthood that came from Levi being overseen by the kings of Judah? What he was teaching us is that each one of these parts represent who he is and what he does for us and what humanity needs to have restored relationship with our God. So does he just erase it all when he does the new temple or when he does the new priesthood? No, he now makes the heart his new temple. Everybody think about this. You now become the temple of God. This is what earth needed to understand what is now in your body. 
Oh, I could freak you out right now. You represent that temple. Uh, make sure it's PG, but show a picture of a human body representing the temple or the tabernacle. Different cults try to build off of this. And I won't tell you what they put in the area of the private area, but I'm going to show you, kind of like, you know how they have the chakras. You ever seen the chakra thing before? Anybody ever seen that? Okay, well, chakras are what New Age people believe, starting with kind of like your private areas, moving your way up. There's seven chakras that you're supposed to connect in a line. Well, they're partly true in this, and they call these sources of energy. Well, they're partly true that there's something special about you and that each part of you plays a part of your spirituality. Think of it like this. The physical affects the spirit, and the spirit affects the physical. They are intertwined together. So God gave us physical bodies to reflect reflect the spirit. And the spirit shows itself in those physical manifestations. So why did God give us these various uh, parts and passions and these desires that we have? Now, we know a heart doesn't make emotions. But when you look at what the heart does, what the brain does, what the stomach, what the intestines do, what your your sexuality does, and these different things, you will see that the three parts of you, body, soul, and spirit, is also right here. The sacrificial place, as, as most would say, the body, this would represent that your soul, the holy place, and then your spirit, the holy of holies. Have you found one yet, Rudy? Go ahead and help him back there for me, please. Put in the body represents the tabernacle. If you want to go back, anybody can find one. Go ahead and send it to him. I want you guys to see how Christians have looked at this. Are you body, soul, and spirit? Yes or no? Are you body, soul, and spirit? There we go. So here's one representation. Thank you. Here's just one representation. The courtyard, you remember I said body, soul, and spirit, right? Three things. Body would be here, the the altar of sacrifice, the brazen laver, then you get into the holy place, then you get into the most holy place. Three places. And then what people would say is, here is the courtyard, your body, the holy place is your soul, and then they would point up here, I guess, there to your, your spirit. I don't agree with this rendition. I would actually say that your spirit is in the center place, okay? And so I would say, like, we're not looking at it like as a skeleton, Okay, we're not looking at like starts here, here, and here. I'm just saying your entire body, your entire body is the outer court. Does everybody get that? Your entire physical body would be considered the outer court. And what does that need? That needs sacrifice and cleansing, sacrifice and cleansing. Pick up your cross, follow Jesus, and be washed with the word. How many remember hearing that? That's what husbands do. Why do husbands do that for their wives in Ephesians? Because that's what Christ did for the church. He washed them with the water of the word. So your whole, this whole entire thing, All of your bones, all of your body parts, okay, that represents the outer court. Then you would go into the inner court, which would be your soul, mind, will, and emotions. Your soul is made up of what? Mind, will, and emotions, okay? Then you would say something like the mind would be the uh, table of showbread, thinking about the things of God on on his word. Then you would say the will would be like the... um, the altar of incense, you leaving your will for the will of God, okay? And then emotions would be like the menorah, the candlesticks being led by the Spirit. Am I just boring everybody here? Am I boring everybody? I feel like I'm boring some of you. Or are you guys just thinking? Sometimes people say, we're just thinking, Pastor. Okay, so going back, table of showbread, your mind. What are you supposed to think on the Word of God, right? That's, That's like your mind. Okay, then altar of incense, incense to the Lord, prayer, what do you pray? Not my will, but your will be done. Does everybody see that? 
Okay, this is like the one time I get spooky and nobody listens, right? It's like, just tell, tell us the word, you know? Some pastors, they just get spooky and then take things out of context and all this. But this is about as, uh, about as metaphorical or allegorical. I was trying to say metaphorical and allegorical together. Uh, this is about as metaphorical and allegorical as I'll ever get, okay? So the word of God is like your mind. Feed it that word. Uh, excuse me, the, the table of showbread is like your mind. Feed it the word of God. And then the uh, altar of incense is your will. Praying, not my will, but your will be done. And then your emotions, and how many know your emotions can go in a hundred different directions, are supposed to have the manifestation of the seven spirits of God. The spirit of God manifests in seven different ways. Go to Isaiah chapter 11, please. Isaiah chapter 11 gives us the seven manifestations of the spirit of God. How many are encouraged by this today? Amen. So this is how you are to govern your emotions. Isaiah 11, please. Isaiah 11 teaches us this is what the spirit of the Lord looks like. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might and of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Does everybody see that? So that's how you govern your emotion is by those candlesticks. Okay? Then your spirit, that which is the life of God, is in that holy place where Christ is seated. Does it not say you are seated in heavenly realms? Go to Ephesians chapter 2, please. Are you getting something out of this, daughter? Because if you're getting, I hope somebody else is. I see some notes being taken there. The Spirit of God is the seat of the Holy Spirit, and it is where you are seated with him in heavenly realms. Notice this right here. Scroll up just a little bit for me, please. It says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in where? The heavenly realms. That is in your holy of holy place. You are now the new temple of God reflecting all the elements of the old temple of God. Isn't that exciting? I'm not asking for a bonus or a raise. I'm just asking for you to get it. Do you get it? Levitical priesthood couldn't bring you there. The Levitical priesthood could not take you into that place. You weren't worthy. I wasn't worthy. First of all, are any of us here even Jewish? Anybody here come from Jewish descent? God bless you. Shalom Aleichem. Most of us here, okay, we have one. Uh, that would be the only one that would be the first criteria is you're Jewish. Here's the next criteria. Got to be a dude. You're not a dude, right? So she can't go. So I watch everybody. I'm not Jewish. I can't go. She's not a dude. She can't go. None of us are going into the Holy of Holy place. Does that sound like fun? No, it doesn't. That sounds kind of like, like, womp, womp. Okay? And then how about this? You are a Jewish person. Oh, yay. And you're a dude. Yay. But what tribe are you from? You only have one out of 12 chances. You got to be from Levi, tracking with me. And then hold on. Are you out of Levi's tribe but have acne, have some bruised private areas? Do you have warts? Do you have any defects? Oh, you're right. So it's the, the slimmest chance. Okay, so let's say now you're finally picked. You are the Levitical priesthood. Yay, you made it. How often do I get to go to the Holy of Holies? One time a year. One time a year. Day of Atonement. One time. And then guess what? You might die when you go there if you do something wrong. Come on. People die just touching the ark the wrong way. That doesn't sound like what God made us for. That sounds like we have a great big barrier between us and heaven. That sounds like we need a mediator. That sounds like we need a better way. Well, then God says, guess what? I made you after I made heaven. So you are a reflection of my heavenly tabernacle. 
And I was meant to always be in you as I'm always in heaven. But y'all messed it up and I had to do all this. But guess what? I'm going to come back and do it this way. So now instead of looking at the Levitical priesthood, that was just the introduction. That was just the shadow. What do you want, the phone or the shadow of the phone? That's why when I see people running back to Judaism, what for? You like riding a dead horse? That horse is dead. Gets you alive, thoroughbred. Getting the new covenant. Amen? Would you rather travel by a broke-down car that doesn't run or get in a private jet? The new covenant is the new way. But guess what? It's a reflection of the old way. And it's a fulfillment of the old way, going back to the notes. Thank you for your time today. That was just a Bible nerd moment. I hope that it blessed you. Perfection could not come to the Levitical priesthood. We could not be restored to that perfection. Why do I need to be perfect like my heavenly father is perfect? Because I'm meant to plug into him. I'm meant to be that living temple. If I don't have that perfection, I can't go back to where I was made for, to my purpose. Your purpose of having a body, soul, and spirit and all of those parts that we went through is for Jesus to fill every bucket of your soul, every bucket in your spirit, everything Jesus fills to the fullness. So we needed Christ to come. We needed him to change the priesthood because it wasn't even ideal for those people. Now verse 13, please. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, talking about Jesus. And no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. No one from the tribe of Judah did what the Levites did. It is a little bit with uh, David, but David didn't do the work of the priest. He just had some priestly privileges at different times, like eating the showbread and carrying the ark. But technically, he couldn't touch it either. So David came closest to being a king and a priest, but he wasn't really a priest. He was just uh, able to do certain priestly things. So the Bible is correct here when it says that no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. Correct. Thank you, author of Hebrews. We need someone that can come from Judah as a king, but also be a priest like the Levites. Let's keep going. Verse 14. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priest. Go quickly with me to Revelation. We'll go first to Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. How many know Jesus still has his resurrected flesh today? Okay. You have to believe that as a Christian. Don't let somebody tell you it doesn't matter. He can just be a spiritual body now. No, if Jesus does not have a physical body, you don't get a resurrection. Everybody get this as well. As long as Jesus keeps a body is as long as your body will live in the kingdom to come. If Jesus ever unplugs from his body, you lose a source of an eternal life. So it is that important. It is that important. It is not trivial. The resurrection of Jesus, which Lord willing will be celebrating very soon when it gets a lot warmer, but how many are happy for today's weather? I'll take it. When it gets a lot warmer and spring comes out, we're going to be celebrating the resurrection. And at that resurrection, he kept that body and he glorified it. How do I know he still has it now? Well, he said to Thomas, touch and see I'm not just a spirit because a spirit doesn't have a body like I do. And so he showed Thomas then, but even in heaven, at the uh, time of the book of Revelation being revealed to John, look at what is said of Jesus. Do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has, trans, uh, has triumphant. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Could Jesus can be considered to have come from the tribe of Judah and be the root of David if he doesn't have a physical body from David anymore? 
No, I mean, that would be nonsense. Jesus has to still have a physical body for him to be from the tribe and be the root of David. That is why when he took on flesh, he did so for all of eternity. This is the love that Jesus had for us, that when he became a man, he became a man for all of eternity. And also now go to Revelation 22, 16. This is in his glorified state, proving that he has to maintain this body. He is from Judah. He will always be from Judah. That body comes from Mary, blessed Virgin Mary, and now we have a hope of the resurrection. Amen? How many believe Virgin Mary was blessed? Because she gave him that body without sin, birthed by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean we pray to her. That doesn't mean she didn't have other children after that. It's just we bless her for that because that was a mighty work to do. I, Jesus, have sent my angel, Jesus speaking red letters, to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of who? Of David, thank you, and the bright morning star. Once again, could he say he was the offspring of David in Revelation, in heaven, after glorification, if he didn't have his body? No, he would have to have his body. Thank you. Going back to the notes, Moses never said anyone from Judah could serve as a priest. Moses is the one who gave the Levitical law as God gave it to him on the mountains. Verse 15, and what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of what? Melchizedek. Thank you, king of righteousness. Now, um, highlight right there for me who became, uh, go up just a little bit more, another priest like Melchizedek. I was talking to my friend after uh, last week's sermon, just another priest like Melchizedek, please. And he said, could Melchizedek have been a pre-incarnate Jesus? No, because it says it right here. Another priest like Melchizedek. Does everybody see that? As he, I know it's hard to highlight back there. He'll, he'll get it for us. Another priest means he's not that same priest. And the previous verses that we went to, if you could just highlight it without that, I'll, I'll give you a few seconds. But as, as he does that, I want you to remember what we read previously in Hebrews, where it, when it talks about Melchizedek, it says, without beginning of days and knows no end. Does anybody remember that? Okay. In Hebrews chapter 7, there we go, perfect. Now also turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. Look at verse 3. It says in verse 3, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. This is not a divisive issue, but Christians have debated this, and they said, hey, man, you know, uh, we believe in the pre-incarnate Christ coming and visiting people. We see that in Genesis 18 and 19. Maybe this is Jesus right there. Maybe he's coming and he's visiting Abraham. There's a couple problems with this. Number one, notice here what it says, resembling the Son of God. Does it say in Hebrews he is the Son of God? Okay, let's just make sure we know basic English, just taking our time. Highlight the word resembling. Does the word resembling mean if you resemble something, you are that something? If I resemble my Father, am I my Father? Thank you. Let's do a couple more examples and embarrass my, my children. Uh, Lucas, he resembles me, but is he me? Okay, so now you see the English right there, and it's the same thing in the Greek. He is like the Son of God. He is resembling the Son of God, but is he the Son of God? No. But here's where people get stuck with it. Well, hold on. 
Who is the only one in the Bible without beginning of days, now highlight that, please, or an end of life? Who is the first and who is the last? We would say that's Jesus, right? Well, we know the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but in the person that comes to be with us, we would say, well, that's Jesus. He has no beginning. He has no end. Revelation said he's first and the last. So does that mean now there are two gods or two persons that are eternal? There's Melchizedek who's eternal like Jesus, and then Jesus is eternal? No. What this means is in the book of Genesis, he has no genealogy. We don't know where his life starts, and we don't know where it ends. That is the example of what Jesus is literally like. Jesus literally has no beginning and no end. Melchizedek has no genealogy without a beginning or an end. Does everybody see that? Because now we'll have a problem. If you say that's to be taken literal, Pastor, it doesn't say genealogy in there. Well, it does right before that, without genealogy. That's where I get it from. But let's say they go to the beginning of days and end of life. That, that's, that doesn't count for genealogy. That means an eternal nature. Then I go, well, then why does it say resembling like the Son of God? Why doesn't it just say he is the Son of God? Why, why play coy with us here? And if you now have to change that to mean, well, he is the Son of God, you now are saying that the Bible made a mistake by saying resembling. It was supposed to say it is. But then they go, oh, no, 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 he's, he's, he's like it. So somebody else will go like, you know, he's like it, but he has no beginning or days. Well, now you're making two eternal beings, and there can't be two eternal beings, right? There can't be, how many firsts can there be? How many lasts can there be? Right, so the Bible says, I'm the first and the last. There can't be two firsts and, and two lasts. So the best way to understand this is, is exactly the way it's being written in its format. Without father or mother, not that he didn't have one, we didn't know one. Without ge genealogy, we don't know where he came from or how he got there in his ancestry. Without beginning or end of days, we don't know when he was born or when he died, resembling the Son of God. Amen. And now go back to our notes, and I'll give you the second argument for that. So you got the first one there. And then here's the second argument for it to show that it's not Jesus. It says, and what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears. So is this Melchizedek appearing again? No, it's another priest like Melchizedek. Everybody see that? Amen. So that's how we know it's not Jesus. It would tell us at this point, if it's going to make such a deep comparison over and over and over again from Jesus to Melchizedek, Jesus and why not just tell us Jesus was Melchizedek? I mean, wouldn't that just be the point there, right? Like we see those things clearly spoken to us. Who does uh, the angel say to, to, to Mary, you know, Jesus is going to be God with us? You know, I mean, there's pretty, you know, clear statements in the scriptures that we can go to. Why would this person take upwards of three chapters and go out of his way to show all of these comparisons and not just tell us that Jesus is is Melchizedek. It's clear in the Bible that Jesus is there in the other parts of the scripture. Let me show you Peter, just so you can uh, see this. Go to 2 Peter with me. And that rock was Christ. I'll show you here. And that rock, that might be Jude, was Christ. This is how they draw connections. Oh, excuse me, 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. And then I'll show you, uh, it was by the Spirit of Christ. That was Peter. Spirit of Christ and Peter that moved the prophets. Everybody learning something good today? Yeah. Boom. Okay, then we'll go to First uh, Peter 1.11. You got Corinthians up there, my brother? Okay, there you go. They all, talking about in the Old Testament during the time of the Exodus, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. That rock was... Okay, so why doesn't the author of Hebrews say that? 
Right? He keeps saying like, like, resembling. No, if he was trying to say it was him, he would say it was him. He's saying it's like him. Now go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. Who does Peter attribute the spirit belonging to that moved the prophets? Remember I said that Jesus is the word of God? He's the eternal word of God. He always speaks the word of God. Remember I said that? Well, who does, the, who does Jesus use to speak his word? He uses the spirit. But now notice how Peter connects these two things together. Trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them, talking about the prophets, was pointing to when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would come. So whose spirit was in the prophets giving them the things to speak? The spirit of Christ. Now we could say spirit of God, that's a general way of saying it, but whose spirit was coming to them directly from Christ? The Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Holy Spirit. We see that also in the book of John. Now going back to our notes quickly, please. He's going to send us, or rather the Father's going to give us another priest. This priest is not going to be in the order of uh, Levi. It's going to be the order of Melchizedek, another priest like Melchizedek, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a uh, regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life, for it is declared you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's Psalm 110.4. We've read that, verse 18 now, please. The former regulation... Levitical priesthood is set aside because it was weak and useless. Well, that's kind of a harsh way to talk about the Old Testament. But how many know that's pretty true? How many know you going to a priest and having them sacrifice an animal doesn't help you stop looking at porn? Come on, let's keep it real. How many know that doesn't change your attitude? How many know that doesn't take the anger out of your heart? That's, you know, that's being honest. The author there is telling us clearly that when you looked at what they were doing there, it didn't come with the power that Jesus was going to bring. It was there to show you this is the best you can do without me. So that's why I tell people, hey, if you're going to choose a religion, yeah, choose Christianity. But you better have a relationship with God. Otherwise, it's just dry bones. But I would prefer you to choose Christianity over Islam because that's definitely demonic. You know, you guys get my point? Like, it's good to come to this church even if you're not a Christian. That's a good thing to do. Come to this church even if you're not a Christian. Learn our morals. Read our Bible. That's good. But I'll tell you what, without the Spirit, it's useless. How much more useless do you think Islam is? How much more useless do you think Buddhism is? How much more useless do you think Hinduism is? The Bible is not all about in, in, you know, inclusivity. It's not about saying we're all the same. No. Even the Old Testament, this author is being very clear. It was weak and useless for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Go quickly to Matthew 5, verse 33. Why could Jesus say this? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, 63, sorry. Uh, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 33. Why could Jesus command this when he comes? You know, beautiful sermon on the mount. How many, how many love the sermon on the mount? You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, uh, don't be angry with your neighbor and all of these beautiful things. But look at what it says, chapter 6, verse 33. Oh, man, 548. Got all my numbers messed up. That's seeking first the kingdom of God. Anybody ever get verses messed up? Am I the only one? Look at 548. Be what? Perfect. Well, hold on. I thought the law can't make anybody perfect. See, he must be bringing about a new covenant. But the new covenant is not less than the old covenant. It's greater than the old covenant. 
the old covenant gave you a bunch of laws to do. You didn't really do them very well, so you would go to a priest to get some help, and you would just you know, kind of struggle with it. Now the new covenant says the expectation is perf- perfection, but here's the difference. You're not on your own going to just any old priest. You have the high priest, Jesus Christ, Mechizedek, living on the inside of you, that new temple, and praying for you before God's throne. Did you all see the benefit there? Look at your neighbor and say, upgrade. Amen. Going back to the book of Hebrews, I'm glad you guys are enjoying this. This is the tough part of the book, but I'm glad that we're going through it. The law, it was useless to try to help anybody in their weakness. It couldn't make anybody perfect. But you know what? We had a hope to draw near to God. And look at verse 20. And it was not without an oath. So God promised this way back in the day through David. Others became priests without an oath. Basically, it was just their job. It was how they were raised. God didn't promise to them or speak to them like he did about Jesus in the psalm. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. When do I believe that? actually came about at his resurrection when he ascends to heaven. The father says, it is done. You're my priest. Here you are, you know. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Somebody say, a better covenant. Amen. Go to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 in closing here. Quickly, let's go through this. Why is this covenant better? Well, we're the temple of God. That's something that you've learned today. What's another thing that makes it better? We have an intimacy with Jesus. I'm just answering my own question, right? What else makes it better? We have the power of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. And a relationship with God that's not dependent on another mediator other than Christ Jesus. So what do you have? You have cleansing. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You have God with you. And then you have his power flowing through you. Look at what he prophesied through Jeremiah, what was told to us. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This covenant I will make with the people of Israel at that time declares the Lord, and I will put my law in their where? In their mind. Remember I told you the temple represented your body, soul, and spirit, and the law is the word of God. I'll put the law in their minds and write it on their hearts and their emotions by the power of the Holy Spirit. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Now you might say, well, pastor, if part of the new covenant is we don't need a teacher, why are you here? Because I am not teaching you how to have a relationship with God in your spirit. What I'm teaching you are the guidelines that God gave to give boundaries to that relationship. But listen to me. I can't teach your heart how to open up to God. I can say to you, open up your heart to God. But how many know I can't teach that? Like the actual action of that. When I was a sinner, my parents preached to me all the time, and it did nothing for me. It wasn't until I made that decision. In the Old Testament, you didn't know how to interact with God. You didn't know any of those things because God's Spirit was not coming to every single person. God's Spirit was only coming upon priests and prophets and kings at certain times. The new covenant with the spiritual rebirth at the centerpiece The Holy Spirit being breathed upon the disciples and sent across the world is convicting everyone now of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. As a part of the new covenant is even your relationship to God when you're not in the new covenant. Think about that. Are sinners out there in the new covenant right now? No, they're not in any covenant, right? They're lost. But how many know God is interacting with them by the laws he set in the new covenant? 
So before they even understand what the new covenant is, he's interacting with them. The way many of you talk about, well, God would do this, God has done this, back in my past, God would do that. You would talk about, that wasn't normal in the Old Testament. That's normal now in the new covenant because God is reaching out to you. You don't see that kind of reaching out in the Old Testament. It was sparse. It was few and in between. And so when it says you need no one to teach you to know God, I compel you to know God. I command you by the scriptures to know God. I I give you boundaries to know God, but I don't teach you how to know God in that way. The knowing of God comes from the Holy Spirit convicting you. And once again, why is that important in the new covenant? Because the Holy Spirit is now given to the earth. He said only those who receive him can now have them in the heart, but he'll be sent to convict the world. What will the Holy Spirit be sent to convict the world of? Sin, righteousness, and of judgment. He wasn't doing that before with the world. He wasn't. Now, could people draw near to God? Was the Holy Spirit there in some ways? Yes. I don't think they were left abandoned, lost people groups and the different things that Paul talked about on Mars Hill. He, you know, he set them apart in their own nations that they would perhaps reach out to God and these things. He's not far from any one of us because in him we live and move and have our being, as he said. Right? But that's not the same as what Jesus said in the age of the Holy Spirit. When he sent the Holy Spirit, he said these three things would now begin to happen that had never happened before. And that's why now the nations are brought into the nation of Israel. When you read Romans chapter 11, we still are in the vine of Israel, but it's the true Jew, Jesus. We are engrafted into him as a branch. He is the vine, we are the branches, and he is a Jew. So when you scroll up, just go up a little bit here, please, and someone points out to you and says, it's to the people of Israel, and you're a Gentile, and you can't get in unless you're the people of Israel. You know, people say that. We say, hold on, everything you said is true up until one point, that I can't get in. You're right that it's for the people of Israel, and you're right that you you have to be Israel, but here's the thing, Jesus did that for me, and I can get engrafted into him. That's exactly how the Gentile comes in. The Gentile does not get into Christ outside of Israel. It's Christ becoming Israel that now the Gentiles can come in. Does everybody see that? You don't get rid of Israel. Israel is still there, but where is Israel? Jesus. Jesus is the perfect expression of the Jewish people. Is the branch Greater than the vine? No, the vine is still Israel. Where is our center of worship going to be? Jerusalem. What is our nationality going to be in the kingdom to come? Israelites. Where will we be serving him? In Jerusalem. Not in Detroit, not in Chicago. Are you listening? We're not going to Beijing. It's Jerusalem. We'll be known as the Jewish people. Just as the proselytes, those who converted during their time in the Old Testament, would leave their nationality and become Israel. We become Israel in the Israelite Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. Now going back to the notes, please. This new priesthood made a way for us, and it's better than the old way. And Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant there in Matthew. Now there have been many of those priests, talking about in the old covenant, since death prevented them from continuing in office. They would die, and the other one had to replace them. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a what kind of priesthood? A permanent priesthood. So do we need Father Tom? No, we don't need a Catholic priest to be a mediator because Jesus is a permanent permanent mediator. No one ever takes his spot. I don't need a pope. I don't need a high priest. All I need is the church of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says, elders and deacons. But we never assume that role of the priest. Now, when the Bible says you are a nation of kingdom and priests, a kingdom of priests or a nation of priests, it's not saying like in the way of doing sacramental duties. 
We are not performing sacrifices in that way. What is the Bible going to go on to say us in Hebrews? Offer up the thanksgiving or the sacrifice of praise, right? That is going to be your offering. That is going to be your sacrifice. But no temple in a literal sense. No actual priest dressing up like mother, having you call them father, going to an actual altar. How many know they put a lot of work into that? You ever been to a Catholic service? How many know there's a reason for all of that? They literally believe that is their temple, that is their priest, that is their sacraments that have to be done a certain way. And I always say to them, show me where it says that in the Bible. Show me where it says this in the Bible. And I said, when I look at the Old Testament, and it came with the temple, and it came with priests, and it came with the dress code. Remember, they had to have the breastplate on with the 12 tribes of Israel. And I don't say this to be mean, but I think a lot of you need to go back and read the book of Leviticus because I, I get a lot of blank stares when I go this way. I'm telling you, when I was talking about the temple, and I just feel convicted now to share this with you, you guys really need to go back and read the book of Leviticus because a lot of what I'm saying is just it's going over your head. Priests had to wear a breastplate. Please put that up for me, the breastplate of the priest with the 12 tribes. How many already knew it though? How many already knew it? The rest of you got to go back and read this. Each one of those tribes were represented by jewels and gems. Those jewels and gems are going to be the same of the foundation stones when we go to the new Jerusalem, okay? And then we're going to see that the disciples are named, okay? And they're going to be a part of our foundation. Now, this, everybody get this. Those tribes were so important that when the Levite went into the priestly duty, they had to represent all of those tribes. Well, hold on. I'm not represented. Anybody, remember we went through it. Anybody here of the tribe of Levi, of, of Judah? What about, what about you? You're not represented when that priest would go in. Ah, oh, but hold on. There's a priest now from the Melchizedek order who brings all of God's people in, Jew or Gentile. Do you see how important that is? Because, see, when they went in, they represented their people. But is this your people? That's not my people. That's not my people. But that's Melchizedek's people. Hello? That's, that's why it's so important to understand the new covenant. It's not that we do away with it now and say, oh, man, these Jews, they were just dumb, and the Old Testament was dumb. No, 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 no. This is all fulfilled now in Christ. Christ did that for them. When he went into the temple, he fulfilled all the Jewish laws and completed it. The way I say it is he didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled the law. Just like you can pass first grade and go to second grade. You don't keep coloring, but you remember what you did when you colored. You get that? Come on, brothers and sisters. When he fulfilled the law, he didn't abolish it. He didn't say, man, this is garbage. He just said, I brought it to its fullness. When he went into that real tabernacle of heaven that the replica was made on earth, he did everything that they never could do on earth, and he completed it. And then the Father said to him, you are a priest now forever in the order of Melchizedek, and your temple is now down there and down there and over here and over here. And your people, that you'll keep close to your heart, that you'll have their names written on the palm of your hand. Your people will not just be 12 tribes, the Father says to the Son, but ask of me, the Father says to the Son, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Those are Melchizedek's people. Amen? Going back to the Scripture. So important, brothers and sisters. Please read the book of Leviticus, especially now knowing all of these things. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Remember, we started off this message, Jesus prays for me. 
The priests, they just prayed for Israel. But Jesus prays for a Polish-Italian today. The priests, they could only lift up their needs of their nation. Jesus is lifting up the needs of all the people of all the nations of the world right now. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. And by the way, you need to read those and get each one of them and what they stand for. Okay, otherwise I think I'll take a detour from this sermon series to another kind of lesson. I just don't feel led to do that. So please go back and look at the grain offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the fellowship offering and just put up there how Christ fulfills each and every one of them. Christ fulfills these offerings and these sacrifices. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the Passover lamb, Jesus is all that in a bag of chips. He sacrificed for sins once and for all. No more grain offerings. No more sin offerings. No more guilt offerings. No more Passover. You can celebrate it as a memorial, but you don't need it. No more Day of Atonement. None of the feasts. And we could spend a whole nother lesson. I could preach a whole sermon series by God's grace just on the feasts. The Feast of Booze, the feast, which is also known as the Feast of Tabernacles, talking about the Feast of First Fruits, the Day of Pentecost, all of these wonderful things. Christ fulfills it all. And what does he do now? The law appoints as a high priest men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Is there any other verses there, my brother? Or is that it? That's it. When Christ was made perfect, sometimes people say, how can you make something perfect, perfect? How many know Jesus came to earth perfect? Well, how do you make perfect, perfect? Does anybody remember what I shared with this? When Jesus went to the cross, he fulfilled his calling perfectly. Up until that point, he was perfect in nature, but had not performed the perfect behavior of a sacrifice. Now, technically, do I think he would have failed? No, it wasn't a possibility in my mind. He couldn't have failed. But when Jesus was there praying, Lord, if there is another way, take this cup from me, he meant that prayer. Jesus had to show perfect obedience where Adam had sinned. Adam had failed. Adam said, I'll take the easy way out. I'll blame my wife. I'll blame the snake. I'll, you know, I just want to take a fast trip to, to you know, knowing everything here, knowledge of good and evil. And you know what? He cost us the entire blessing of God on this earth. Jesus, think about it. He's in a garden, this time Garden of Gethsemane. And what does he do? Does he take the easy way out? No. He's already got heaven, right? He can go back back up there if he wants to. But who wasn't there? We weren't. No one was there yet. Heaven was empty of souls. All those who had died were waiting in a place known as Abraham's bosom, waiting for their redemption. They couldn't go into heaven yet. They had not been cleansed by the real blood. All of those blood sacrifices were types and shadows. If the real was not coming, that shadow was worthless to them. If I say, here, here's my phone coming, the shadow shows you that it's coming. But if this phone never comes and all you are is stuck in that place of having a shadow, you have nothing. They're stuck there. And what does Jesus do in Garden of Gethsemane? He says what Adam couldn't say. He says, not my will, but your will be done. And he prays, doesn't he? Even to drops of blood. But he goes back to his disciples. Are they praying? No, if you don't pray, you stray. When the persecution came, they strayed. He stayed. If you pray, you stay. If you don't pray, you stray. 
But what did Jesus say he would do for them, even though knowing they would stray? He said, I'll pray for you. And so he prayed for them while he was on earth, that they would come back, that he would lose none of them. And so, brothers and sisters, what is he like for us now in heaven while he's there? Next to the Father. He's praying those same prayers. He's saying those same prayers, but he's praying for us now specifically, not just the disciples because they're already there in heaven. He's now praying for us. And brothers or sisters, it is our choice now to trust him in those prayers because he will get an answer to every prayer. When he said to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from all evil for thine is the power uh, and deliver us from the evil one for thine is the power and the glory and the kingdom forever and ever. When he taught us to pray that way, you will never pray that prayer alone. The moment you pray that, he's praying it to the Father on your behalf. Are you listening? The moment I bow my knee and I start praying, I start saying, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Father says, uh, the Son says to the Father, Father, Joe is honoring you. Now, of course, the Father knows all things, but my prayer would be meaningless to him unless the Son says, He's praying in my name. He's honoring you. Because how many know you could say the words, Father, I honor you? And that'd mean nothing. People say those things, you know, still to this day. Father, I honor you. But that doesn't mean God takes that as honor. How, how does he know he's talk, he's talk, you're talking to him, right? He's talking to any old father. But when you pray, Jesus looks at the Father and says, Father, he's glorifying you. And then when I say, not my will, but your will be done, Jesus speaks to the Father and says, Father, here's one with a bended will to you. Do something great in his life. Give us this day. You know, you go through the whole thing. The Father is hearing me pray it because I prayed in Jesus' name. You and I have zero right. We have zero right to ever talk to the Father without Jesus. And now that we have him, we should never take advantage or take that for granted, rather. Do you now know why Paul said, pray without ceasing? You now have a line to the Father, pray without ceasing. That's why every meditation of our heart, what does the Bible say? Let the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Our meditations should be prayers. Because he is there next to the Father praying for us. Is there any temptation we ever face alone? No. So why should we ever be discouraged? Is there any emotional up and down of our life that will ever take God by surprise? No. Then why should we ever go to a funeral in despair? I was talking to my brother. He had lost his wife in a car accident. Three beautiful children, all in the car. They all made it. Wife died. Got hit by a semi-truck. Was talking to him. We were out during Valentine's Day. My wife and I were sharing Valentine's Day with him. We, we, we just like to have fun. So we are like, hey, you want to hang out? Yeah, we'll hang out. So I asked him. I said, are days like today hard for you because your wife's not around? Beautiful wife, beautiful family. And he looked at me and he said, no, because I know she's with Jesus. How does he know that? Because he prays. He talks to the Father in Jesus' name. And he said, I made a decision after that that I would not be one of these husbands walking around with this kind of guilty conscience. Well, what about my children? Well, what about this life event that the mom's going to miss? He said, I wasn't going to spend one day like that. He said, every day I was going to talk to Jesus and know that my, fam my wife was with Jesus and that my family's in Jesus' hands. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That changes the way you get up in the morning, doesn't it? 
It, it does. Because I know Jesus is next to the Father, not just randomly. Not just randomly. Well, yeah, he's there. I've, I've always known. No, no. He's there as my priest. He's there as Sydney's priest, as Jackie's priest, Jocelyn's priest. He's there as your priest. Well, I, I, I thought there has always been priests. Not like this. And then what about a Jew? Well, I've had a priest, and now you guys get one too. No, your priest couldn't do Jack Diddley compared to mine. Well, we're, you know, sometimes the Jews are like, well, we're going to rebuild the temple. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. You could do all of that. It's still going to be, go scroll up for me. It's still going to be, go up, up. You're going the wrong direction. That's down. Go up, go up. You can have all, keep going. You can have all of these priests. You can have all of these things. And what is it going to be? Stop right there. It is going to be, go down, please. It is going to be what? Weak and useless. Can have it all. I got a temple. I got this. I got, it's weak and useless. Brothers and sisters, as we get ready to close out, I want us to close out in private meditational prayer because I believe it's just like they're seeing in Asbury. Revival is going to come as we pray, as we start to understand the immense privilege we have in the presence of God. I've talked to too many, and that's why I was getting a little bit on you before about Leviticus. I've talked to too many lukewarm, backslidden Christians that you don't even understand this, and I have to preach, uh, you know, extra cup to 10 minutes, whatever, so you can get to it. Friends, this is mind-blowing. Our priest... Changed the whole thing so we could get in. Do you get? He changed the whole thing so I could get in. How can I now take that for granted? How could I have a depressed day where I say, God, don't do anything for me? God hasn't helped me. He changed the priesthood for me. He changed the priesthood so that my name could be with him. Not just these boys, Levi, Reuben, Simeon, Joe, Wyrasta could be with him today. Man, you'll never go to work the same again. You'll never suffer for Christ again. When these brothers were laying their knees down on the side of a Syrian ocean or a lake, wherever they were at, those pictures stick in my mind. And the swords were being drawn and they were going to be beheaded. They were praying the Our Father because they knew when they said those words, Jesus would be interceding for them. Lord, we don't understand it. We don't appreciate it like we should. But Lord, we want to know it more. Help us before we go here, starting with me right now. Help me to understand the great privilege that I have in the priest forever in Melchizedek. My Jesus, in the order of Melchizedek, Father, help me to understand I can come near your throne, be seated with you in heavenly places, because you changed the whole covenant. You changed the whole priesthood. You changed the whole weak, useless law so that I could know you. I didn't have to wait for my mom to tell me to know you. I didn't have to wait for a preacher to tell me to know you. I could know you in the new covenant as a Gentile sinner. I could know you because of Jesus. Father, I pray I never take that for granted. I pray I never forget why you spent chapters in a Bible to explain it to me so that I could understand it. So that I could know you sent your son to be a priest forever for me and for every person in this room that he would always intercede for us. That when we would pray the prayers he taught us, not my will but your will be done. When we would pray that, Father, you would hear it and you would respond. You are not far from us. Come on, right now, talk to the Father in Jesus' name.
Whatever you need the Father to know, tell it to him in Jesus' name. You have a high priest. Single moms going through tough times right now, ask the Lord to be your husband. Ask him to be the father of your children, to take care of you, to provide, to give you the strength to go to work, to wear all the hats that you do. Ask the Lord today to hear you and to answer your prayers because Jesus is there. The Bible also says in Hebrews that we come boldly to the throne of grace. None of you here, as I pray, I'm going to preach a little bit too on my knees. None of you here would ever be so bold in my house to walk into my office as my children are. Little chubby hands and fingers poke themselves under those doors all the time, peek under there, stick their head in, show me a dance, give me a drawing. None of you here would ever dare to be so bold. Why? Because you're not a child in my house, but my children have a childlike faith where they will just bust into the office and immediately expect my attention to be there. Do you know why we can do that as sons and daughters? Because the Son of God got the attention of the Father, broke through the veil, sat himself down there, and gave us a way to come in so that we can have a boldness that no one else in generations past ever had in the weak and useless law, that we can come into his presence, dirt on our feet, with sin even, the Bible says, even while we were yet sinners, he loved us, and we can come in with our mistakes and all and say, here I am. Forgive me. Change me. Help me few more moments before we go. Come to his throne of grace right now. Don't wait. Don't make excuses. We don't need altar workers right now. Just right where you're at. Just, Jesus, I'm coming so I can be next to the Father. Where you are, I want to be, Jesus. I want to be your temple. I want you to be seated in my life. I want to be in your blessing of the Melchizedek priesthood. I want to share in this blessing right now. I want to be on the Father's mind. I want my heart to be his heart today. I want him to hear my prayers. A few more moments right now. There was a missionary. I don't know how true this is, but it's been passed around in Christianity. There was a missionary whose father who had died, and, and they came to get him, sent letters or something to come tell him to come home. Your father died. And when they came to him, they, they said, man, your father's died. you got to come home. He said, you lie. My father's alive, and he can never die. That doesn't mean he didn't miss his father. It wasn't you know, needing to do something as a son. But he understood the revelation. He has a father that's an everlasting father. And that father never dies. That father never leaves. And some of you here today, I know I'm speaking to hearts as we're praying. And some of you here have the audacity to blame your trauma, blame your abuse on God. And God is saying, I never lie. I'm always holy. I'm always there. I've never let you down. I've made a way of escape. Through the pain, there's healing. But do you ask? Do you come? He didn't say he would take away the hardships. He would give you the blessing through the hardships. Brothers and sisters, he didn't rescue his only begotten son. That doesn't mean he didn't love him. He just let him go through it and showed his glory through it. And not every time you're going to be rescued. So don't you dare blame God for your hardships. Come to his throne and say, Lord, good days, bad days, I'm yours. In the name of Jesus, Lord, hear us. Hear us as we pray a few more moments right now, changing your heart towards the way you look at prayer. Prayer is never a wish. 
It's never just something you throw out like a coin into the wishing well at Six Flags. Prayer is a position of blessing and a position of sonship and daughtership. It is a place. Prayer's not just a thing. It's a place. It's where your priest is and where you're never alone. A few more moments. This will save time this week with counseling. Come on. This will save your broken heart this week. A few more moments before we go. Lord, draw me to the side of Jesus, my high priest today. And let me hear the intercessions of his heart. Do you know that the Spirit will intercede for us the things that Jesus wants us to pray? Even when our own mind can't understand, the book of Romans says, you will utter things that even words don't understand or comprehend. Even with groanings, what the Spirit will intercede because, the, because Jesus, the Son, will say, I need you to pray this so I can get it done with the Father. But you don't know how to pray this. But hear it from my Spirit. So I'm going to send my Spirit. And there will be times in the prayer closet where you'll just be groaning. Ah! You'll be crying out. And you won't know what's being done. But at that moment, the Holy Spirit is taking the heart and the desperation and saying, Jesus, is that what you needed them to say? To get it done. And Jesus is going to be, that's all I needed. Just for them to groan. Just for them to get it out of their spirit. I got it now. I'm telling the Father, make this happen on their behalf. There are prayers that we don't even understand that only our groans can bring forth so that we can share in the intercession of Jesus. few more moments right now. Never alone. Come on, say it to yourself. I'm never alone. Jesus hears my prayers. He helps me pray. He's interceding for me. There's nothing that can hold me back in my Christian walk today. There's nothing that I'm lacking. Any struggle, any weight... We're going to be reading in just a few moments. Lay aside every weight and every hindrance that so easily besets you and run your race. Setting your eyes on Jesus. You're going to read that in just a few moments after we, a few uh, weeks, Lord willing, after we read about the martyrs of the faith. And it's all based on knowing where Jesus is for you, how he's got your back. You can run your race. You can run your race. Do not accept, brothers and sisters, any compromise today. A few more moments before we go. I know I'm going long today, but I sense the Holy Spirit. Do not, do not compromise anything. Right now, any sin in your life that you are compromising with, with those stray dogs, get it out right now in the name of Jesus. Every sin, get rid of it and just say, Jesus, you know. You know these sins. Take them out of my heart right now. Watch what he'll do. I've prayed two seconds prayers that have changed my life for almost 30 years. Why? Because Jesus just wanted me to say that. Jesus just wanted me to release it. Jesus just wanted me to trust him because he's already there. He's already going to make it happen right now. But I have to partner with him. I have to trust him. A few moments right now, prayers can change your life. Prayers like this kept me pure and holy throughout my teen years, coming 18, 19, and then my young adults, 20, 21, 22. All of those years, God kept me holy. God will do it for you. Who's your priest? Who are you talking to today? Who's helping you to pray? Who's your sacrifice? Father, I pray now that as we get ready to conclude this service, that no one leaves out the same way they came.
And that, Lord, what we're seeing in Asbury and these other parts of the country, I hear it's happening now in other parts, Lord, these revivals of prayer, they would happen first in our lives, God. Before we have public prayer meetings, before we see them go all night in these things, Lord, raise it up in our own lives where we pray when we get up. We pray throughout the day. We stay in that, that, that heart of prayer because we are your temple. We are your tabernacle. You're filling our body. You're filling our soul. And you're filling our spirit, making us whole. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on, brothers and sisters. Woo! I feel Jesus. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? We'll dismiss. I'll pray a prayer of dismissal. Father, bless us as we go our separate ways, but never from your presence. Help those here who don't know you, Jesus, to repent of their sins, to be born again if they're not already. Teach us, O oh Lord, to put in application all that we learned. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will nudge some this week to go through the book of Leviticus to see the great privilege and honor that they have. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Do you love Jesus? Amen, saints. We love you. I love you. I'm glad you stayed for this service. Have a wonderful week. You're dismissed. Come up for prayer for anything. These prayer workers are here, not as priests, but as brothers and sisters to help you to know your high priest.